Grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. The word of God for our meditation this evening is Psalm 2, a psalm of David. Why do the nations rage? Why do the peoples grumble in vain? The kings of the earth take a stand, and the rulers join together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Let us tear off their chains and throw off their ropes from us. The one who is seated in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. Then he speaks to them in his anger, and in his wrath he terrifies them. I have installed my king on Zion, my holy mountain. I will proclaim the decree of the Lord. He said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask me, and I will give you the nations as your inheritance and the ends of the earth as your possession. You will smash them with an iron rod. You will break them to pieces like pottery. So now, you kings, do what is wise. Accept discipline, you judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, or he will be angry, and you will be destroyed in your way, for his wrath can flare up in a moment. How blessed are all who take refuge in him. This is the word of the Lord. Dear friends in Christ, there has probably never been an age, not since David wrote that psalm, an age in which God's people have not said in response to it, wow, ain't that the truth? That psalm applies perfectly to the situation of our world right now. Whether it was Ammonites or Arameans, Assyrians or Babylonians, Persians or Greeks or Romans or Turks or fascists or communists or Islamist terrorists, we have never been short of nations that rage against the Lord or peoples who grumble against their creator. And their leaders come together and lay claim to power and glory, authority and honor that belongs only to God, and in so doing, whether they do so consciously, deliberately or not, they sneeringly rebel against the Lord and foolishly insult his anointed one, his only son, the world's only hope and savior, and king over all creation. But we can be allowed to think that perhaps this situation is worse now than it has ever been. Because so many of the people and nations raging against the Lord today do so deliberately, fully aware that it is the God of Scripture whom they rebel against and mock. And we encounter them both at home and abroad. They scorn the witness of their own history and of the Christians still within their midst, they, they consciously redefine things which God has already defined, like marriage and sex and good and bad and right and wrong. And they marshal the media and sometimes even the military against those who stand up and say, Stop in the name of the Lord. 
But as great as their grumbling and rebellion might be today, it hardly compares in audacity or significance with the opposition and enmity of those who joined together, not just to blaspheme the Lord, but to actually do harm to his anointed one, the Messiah, the Christ, Jesus. We read about them already in the first verse of our Passion History reading tonight, where we are told that the chief priests and the experts in the law were looking for some deceptive way to arrest Jesus and kill him. The other Gospels give us more details about how Christ's enemies proceeded and put together their plan. But even if we did not already know that in this story, Jesus is the good guy and they are the bad guys, they're plotting clearly showed what was in their hearts. They weren't interested only in providing an alternative, only in silencing Jesus or removing him from Jerusalem. They wanted to kill him. And they wanted to kill him despite knowing from his reputation and from their own observation that he was guilty of no sin, let alone any crime, that he had never advocated any kind of change in society that would actually threaten them, and that, likely most significant of all, they knew that he had divine power at his disposal to work he miracles of, of healing and dispossessing demons and more. These people, the ones doing the plotting, were the experts who should have been most ready and most equipped to recognize Jesus as the anointed one of God, the long-promised, long-awaited Messiah. But their hearts and minds were so focused on their own interests that they refused to see it. So they chose to meet him with evil instead of good. They plotted against him to get him out of the way forever, they thought. And it's not much further on in our passion history that we see the plan coming together with Satan's approving involvement. Judas Iscariot, one of Christ's own disciples, someone who had been with him for three or more years at his side, with him everywhere, at his feet, learning from him, walking with him, seeing everything that he does and hearing everything that he says. Judas is filled with greed and with the devil when he realizes that he can betray Jesus to his enemies for money. And so he approaches the chief priests to arrange it. And then he goes from being someone who as a friend and disciple should have had Jesus' back to being someone looking for an opportunity to betray him. Judas probably didn't think of himself as evil, just opportunistic or, or ambitious. But it is hard to think of a more evil act done against the Lord's anointed. No wonder Jesus warned him, along with all the other disciples, by saying at the Passover table, Woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man 
if he had not been born. And yet, what do we see along with all of this? Jesus knows full well what his enemies have planned for him, what Judas is going to do, what is going to happen to him over the next day. But Jesus doesn't wobble or waver or, or change direction or stop or hesitate or anything. He continues steadfast, on course on his mission to save sinners, despite all these evil plots. Nothing and no one was going to keep the Son of Man from what he came to do, from all that the Scriptures had said would be. Now, how was he able to remain steadfast in in spite of all he knew and, and in spite of all the opposition he faced? One important reason is that he knew better than they did. He knew the truths that Psalm 2 tell us. And he knew which side of those truths he was on. The people raging and grumbling, joining together in rebellion against God's will, were the ones seeking his death. And he was, that is, the Lord's anointed, his only begotten Son which meant that all they were doing would be in vain, and that God on his heavenly throne could laugh at their futile efforts to hold back the execution of his gracious plan to save them and all the rest of the world's sinners. Jesus knew he would be installed as king, not only over all the Jews, but over all the universe The way this story would end meant that the sufferings and death that lay ahead of him were not going to finish him, but would finish what he came for. But what was positive for Jesus was negative for his enemies. The psalm makes clear that the Lord will answer their scoffing with anger, and his wrath will not leave them laughing, but terrified. And those who continue to resist the rule of his son will be smashed with an iron rod and broken to pieces like pottery. Vivid, graphic images of the punishment that awaits them in hell after the judgment. The consequences of unbelief and rebellion are severe and eternal. And even more so for those who plot as his enemies did during his passion. But forgiveness is possible even for them, even for the worst of the ragers and scoffers. The psalm encourages even them, even kings, to do what is wise and turn to the Lord, to leave foolish pride behind with all evil and instead serve the Lord with fear. Rejoice with trembling. Those who take refuge in the Son, who trust in the forgiveness and grace and mercy of their God, instead of in their own righteousness, their own works or their own plotting, those who take refuge in the Son are blessed because the Lord is gracious 
and merciful, which is what the Messiah's mission was all about anyway. It's a not-at-all-humorous irony that Jesus was suffering and dying, not just for those who were friendly to him, but even for his enemies, even for these chief priests and experts in the law who were seeking to kill him and successfully arranged it. He took all the world's sins with him to the cross, which included theirs, and by paying for all those sins with his life, he saved all sinners, saved all who put their trust in him and his work. And they have forgiveness. They have eternal life, holiness, and a place in paradise. Now, You and I are among those who believe and who rejoice with trembling as we consider all that Jesus did for us. It is tempting, then, as believers, to identify only as his friends and supporters, and thus to think of ourselves only as those who are persecuted along with him, and therefore to think of the ragers and rebels only as enemies and opponents. But both David and Jesus show us a better way to think. Those who today plot evil against the Lord or against us, his people, might be our brothers and sisters tomorrow. We are saved now. They are not yet saved. We are repentant sinners today. They are not yet repentant sinners. You see, even as we pray for deliverance and count on God's grace and strength against their evil, we encourage them to turn from it, to do what is wise, to repent of their sins and believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. Sadly, experience tells us that most will not. But to the extent that we do face the plots of evil people, activists trying to eliminate the church's influence on society, Co-workers resentful of your character who, who work against you. Petty bureaucrats eager to put believers in their place. Or even outright persecution and arrests and torture and execution as many Christians in this world are even today still subject to. To whatever extent we face the plots of evil people, we can be steadfast in standing against them with the same knowledge and understanding that informed and empowered Christ's steadfastness. The Lord, our Lord, is infinitely greater than their threats and actions. He sits enthroned in power and glory in heaven while they play games of power and glory here on earth. He will speak to them in anger and terrify them with his wrath, and they will be destroyed in their way. They thought they could throw off his authority over them and do their own thing, but they forgot and still forget who he is. They will not win. They never can. The Lord is almighty, and he is our Lord, and we are his people. These truths cannot be shaken, and so we will not let them be forgotten, 
no matter what comes, no matter who plans and joins together against us, his saints, we can be and we are steadfast despite the plots of evil. Amen. And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ after you have suffered a little while, himself restore and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen.